Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. For a while, he did really well. He went through cold turkey again, as he had done many times previous. But unfortunately, addicts follow the drug. And he, he came back to Ireland and he got himself riddled with debt. He got himself involved with criminal activity and, and people who were anything but nice. And he told nobody. He hid it. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. Today on the podcast, we were very lucky to have Neve O'Donoghue, who is a journalist and a podcaster, and she made a beautiful documentary about her brother Matthew called The Gospel According to Matthew. Matthew sadly passed away in 2016, and he was a drug addict. And she talked to us all about her family's struggle through the years with what he had gone through and um, their relationship with him now, too. Mm. It's Actually, it's a really honest you know if you want to hear an honest account of uh, somebody's life then this is sort of it she was honest about how you know it affected her family her relationship with her family also I suppose for her what I found very brave of her was she knew how perhaps because of the situation, how mm. private her, her family and her parents were, but she was still adamant that she was going to tell Matthew's story. Yeah, You really feel for her mum, yeah. actually, in this interview. And I suppose the grief that she will have gone through in the lead up to before Matthew died. Because obviously, as we talk about, when somebody is an addict, they mm. become a different person totally. in a lot of ways. Neve also really bravely talks about what led Matthew to addiction that he was abused and that that in turn directly leads and that's something that probably is a, something we don't talk about enough that the people who are drug addicts often have a story behind it a pain that was mm. within them and they they turn to drugs to maybe deal with that um, and as she said like her mother dealing with that her parents dealing with that is is so difficult to deal with she also talks a lot very bravely especially towards the end of our interview about um, what she hopes will happen here in Ireland changes that need to be made when we handle I suppose the drug problem and addiction and I, I think also what she wants us to do as a country is change our perception of what an addict is mm. and who an addict is and you may be sitting beside one now and not even mm. know it. And it's this idea of the stereotype. And I think she's, she's, it's a very brave interview. And <laughs> I actually found it very emotional. It was very, um, especially when she talks about who Matthew was. And yeah. I think anyone who's got a family member who's struggling with addiction, you know, the real person, the, yeah. funny, the funny person, the person who's the, kind the and caring. caring. Yeah. And she talks all about the real Matthew and who he really was. And yes, he was probably known publicly more for the troubles that he faced. But anyone who's known someone who struggles with addiction knows that there's a real person there too who, who's beyond all that. 
Our guest today is a journalist and podcaster and she's been campaigning to break the stigma around drug addiction in Ireland since the death of her brother Matthew in 2016. The grief surrounding addiction is an extremely complex thing because you're often grieving the person before they actually pass. Nevo Donoghue, you're very welcome. Thank you for um, having me. Today. Do you think this is a fair assessment of what people might go through? Do you think it's fair to say you grieve the person who's addicted before perhaps they pass on? Totally, because the, the person that's going through addiction is, is grieving the loss of their own life as well and that therefore um, is, is pushed out to the wider family, to the wider friends, to the entire community. So it's just it doesn't only affect the person that might be using the, the drugs or that is going through a tough time, but it affects every single person that that person then comes in contact with. Um, and that's something that I found when, even when I was a young child, and I was sheltered from Matthew's problem for pretty much my entire mm. young life. How, how old were you when? When I found out? Yeah. I would have been about 14 or 15. I was always inquisitive and nosy and... Matthew was was here and then he wasn't for like long periods of my life. He would come in and then he would disappear. And when I was younger, I was told that Matthew was on holidays, which I thought was in my older life now is, I, I don't know, quite quite a, a nice way of looking at it, quite peaceful. Yeah. But then I came across um, a selection of letters that Matthew had written to my mom from a place called Clover Hill. I was like, wow, that sounds like a very nice holiday destination, doesn't it? And it, it slowly but surely started to come out that Matthew had been abused um, from the age of 13 right up until he was um, 17 or 18 and that he had hidden this away. But in the meantime of, of being abused, he turned to the only thing that he knew, which was drugs, because he fell into a wrong crowd. And it, it started with, you know, tablets and, and ecstasy. And eventually, by the time he was he was a young teenager, he was injecting. And he was too far gone by the time my parents, he, he had confronted my parents about this. He was already 18 and had a serious addiction problem and had already been in prison at this stage. And then that led to him just not receiving the, the help and the support that he needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and he entered that critical cycle of the Irish penal system where he was going in, he was mm. using drugs, he was he was surrounded by people who were using drugs. He came out and he knew no better. Abuse in, is often the start of a, of a drug addiction mm. and so often the most difficult thing for families to, to deal with. And I guess not a comfortable thing to even talk yeah. about at all. How did your family cope with that? So I come from a very traditional family. My, my mom and dad are very hardworking people, middle class family and Therefore, that already comes with a a stigma of, you know, like, don't talk about sex Mm. in front of your dad. Don't talk about periods. And it was all of it. It was it was very much like that. And because I was the only the only girl in the family, that was even even more heightened. But when it came to topics like abuse or even when we were talking about repeal, it's still very hushed. And there's still an air of privacy about it and definitely stigma. People don't want to share those deep, dark thoughts and and the pain that's going on and especially with my mom because my mom would be a very open person but I think she felt for the longest time that she couldn't tell people that this was going on behind her door and maybe that maybe that inhibited them from reaching out to services and to be able to go to like grief counselling and to be more open and maybe mm. to meet other families and I think the, the one of the biggest things that had come from me interviewing Matthew and making the documentary was to be able to show my parents that you can talk about it and they are not alone. And for me, that was the biggest thing that just to show that they weren't on their own and that there are mm. there are other families going through this and more that they could have ever known. And 
particular case was um, Philly McMahon, the Irish footballer. Uh, I got I got to know him after I had made the documentary with Matthew. And when my mom found out that his brother had gone through the same thing, my mom could totally. It was like get, it was okay. Yeah, yeah, and then she, you know, she got to to meet Philly's mom and. It was like the two two worlds had just collided and she knew then, she was like, I am not on my own. This is a positive thing to talk about it and to share the overall grief experience. So it was hard. <laughs> and especially because I was only told so late in life, whereas my other brothers had to deal with it directly. They grew up knowing what had happened to my brother. I only found out after the fact and closer towards when he he had passed away. Take us back to when Matthew was little. How old was he when you came on the scene? Matthew would have been... Oh God, he would have been thirteen or fourteen well, when I came along. Okay. So there's a there's nearly a twenty year age gap between. Okay, me and so is there? Does that mean there's a part of your life you don't know about him that you didn't grow up with him that you feel is more probably connected to your brothers? Exactly. Yeah, and and one of the big reasons why I wanted to sit Matthew down and for him to share that part of his life with me because I didn't get to experience that firsthand. I only heard from from you know hearsay from my brothers and my parents never really told me the full truth until I really said listen you need to tell me this now mm. um, partially because I'm just a very nosy inquisitive person <laughs> yeah that was a, a big a big reason why I wanted to sit down and, and to understand person to person it's different when you're hearing a story from a third party but when you're hearing it and you can feel the pain and the anguish and I wanted to sympathise with him because in my eyes He had all the same opportunities that I did, but I couldn't understand why he chose the life Mm. he did. Mm. Why did you choose to take the drugs when you could have went to school? Mm. You know, why did you why did you choose to harm yourself when you could have reached out for help? And it took me it took me so many years to understand that. And even now I still feel I still feel pain that I couldn't have reached out and, Mm. and helped him. But I definitely feel some comfort that he was able to tell me why he did what he did and with the abuse he went to your parents mm. and explained what was happening yeah. or what had happened yeah how did they react to that then I think my mom will carry that with her to the grave um, and my mom would be quite an emotional person and she's very spiritual and even now like he's we'll be celebrating his and I say celebrate because we do like to celebrate his life but he'll be three years dead this year and even every now and then you just I see her in so much distress that her you know her firstborn blue-eyed boy was just taken like that and unfortunately the, the person that did this to Matthew actually lives at the back of her house so my mom still has to see this person oh and he he's a registered um, sex offender and he hangs around by local schools but nobody and parents are well aware of, of who this person is but nobody can do anything because he's he hasn't done anything wrong now, um, but I can only imagine the frustration. And do you know the first thing when um, when I got the news that Matthew had passed away, my brothers went straight into like protective angry mode, and they were like, "I'm going around to kill him. I'm going to kill him." And I was like, "We we can't. What's what good will that do? You know, it's it's really tough." And I feel like I'm the outsider observing it sometimes because I didn't experience. The, the grief on their level as they did when it was happening mm. in terms of like the addiction and the abuse so almost it's almost like I'm able to take my body in and out of you a know situation I, exactly yeah. like I can oversee it but also I can experience it if that makes sense mm. almost like I can see both sides of the coin 
Three years isn't a long time at all when it comes to grief. It's really a short period of time. How did it manifest itself for you in those early days when he had passed away? I'll never forget. So I got a death knock and I was only a week into a brand new job that I absolutely adored. And my brother, I had never even told him the address of the job and he arrived at the door and I was like, I quickly ran through the like Rolodex of relatives in my head as like Mm. grandparents, parents. I never suspected that it would be Matthew. And I remember like wailing and I'd never cried like this in my life. And I'd lo- I've lost grandparents as well. But this was a type of like, I don't know, an internal scream. Mm. And I just I, I, I felt so helpless. Um, I felt I felt like I needed to do something, something positive. I, I'm I'm a realist, but I'm also uh, like I'm, I'm quite a positive person. And I'll, I'll always try and take something dark and turn it into something positive so the week of the funeral obviously was horrendous it was probably the the worst the worst time in my life and I'll never forget having having his body home and the whole rigmarole of of, of what comes with that but um, the night of his his burial there was about 20 of us in this tiny little family home tiny little pokey home and I said do you want to hear his voice for the last time and they all looked at me they were like what do you mean I hadn't told them that I had recorded a two hour documentary with him about his life so we all sat there and cried our eyes out neighbours family friends and it was it was so beautiful and I honestly think I will cherish that for for a long time because it was such a hopeless situation but everybody was was crying joyful tears and celebrating Mm. him for who he was which he was a beautiful person and yes he he did a lot of a lot of bad things and he had a terrible reputation, but he's human at the end of the day. And I've read stuff you've written about your brother before and you always describe him as like a soft, beautiful person and that maybe people didn't see that. Um, talk about it. Maybe tell us a little bit about who he really was and not necessarily being known by the mistakes that he made. OK, well... First thing I think that people recognise is that Matthew and I sound completely different to each other. And I guess that's conditional about where I grew up and how I choose to, to, or how I chose to grow up. Um, And I guess for a long time, I was a bit ashamed and embarrassed by telling everybody that this was my brother. He's rough. He's big, giant, burly man. Um, Big, thick Dublin accent. He, He looks like a frightening big bloke. But underneath that and the tattoos and the muscles and the stigma, he was such a soft soft man like he would do anything for animals he always had these wild dreams of traveling the world he wanted to be a firefighter or like he wanted to help people and unfortunately nobody got to see that side or at least my friends didn't get to see that side and I think that's I actually feel regret for not being able to introduce more people to that side of my family or to to him um but now I just I get to I get to tell people about his lovely life there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss 
If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. Obviously, when somebody passes away, no matter what the situation is, as we've discovered with this podcast, is everybody mm-hmm. grieves differently. And, you know, it might come out in anger or some people run for the hills. Some people are there 24-7. And one of the things I found is it does impact a lot on your family relations and your relationship with your family because they're the ones that are closest to you. So you might sort of feel that they're not reacting in the way mm-hmm. they should or you know, what have you. So how has this affected your family dynamic? For a while, it was it wasn't great because um, so I'm the only media person in the family and I chose to make Matthew's story public in the hope mm. that it would help both my parents deal with it and also the wider community that we could come together and realise that this is an absolute epidemic, pandemic crisis and that something needs to change in order to save people from going down this dark route. And my parents are um, not that they're they're secretive or private people, but like any mm. household, they wanted to keep their private business private. And so there was a bit of toing and froing about whether um, my parents were okay with me telling my story and, and Matthew's story and being a spokesperson for Matthew because he couldn't speak for himself now. Um, so that caused a bit of a riff for a while. But once they s- started to see the positive, um, all the, the the positive responses and the messages of like hope mm. and support, then my my mom definitely started to come around. And um, my brother, my brothers particularly were, I guess, nervous in the beginning because as well they were attaching themselves to this name, like to Matthew's name. And mm. Matthew would have been in in the papers and over the years for for petty crimes that he would have taken part in and or criminal convictions and I I guess I guess they were worried that this might this might latch onto them but I don't think that's the case at all in fact I think it's after spurring into something much bigger than that um and now I I can say proudly that Matthew is my brother yes he died from drug addiction and drug overdose but here's how to here's how to not let, let it happen, happen again yeah. yeah exactly and oftentimes when someone loses their life to drug addiction, the conversations that happen in the lead up to that aren't great because the relationships no. might be very strange. Yeah. You might not have seen the person in a while. You might have had big arguments mm-hmm. or you might have been completely est- estranged. Where were the relationship? Like, is there is there guilt and uh, about how things were left with him? Um, yeah, I think there always will be because Matthew had a very complex um, life three months before he passed away. He was doing incredibly well for about six months. And then he unfortunately went back down the drug using route and nobody knew about it. And he was doing it in secrecy. And until his partner had found him one day in her bathroom. And at that stage, my mom, the whole family was told. And the only option that my mom saw fit was to get him a one way ticket to England so we could start a new life and be safe and be away from drugs, be away from debt and just to try and give him a chance. And I'll never forget the morning that my mom sent him on the ferry. And I think she thought she'd never see him again. Um, And for a while, he did really well. He went through cold turkey again, as he had done many times previous. Mm. But unfortunately... Addicts follow the drug 
and he he came back to Ireland and he got himself riddled with debt. He got himself involved with criminal activity and and people who were anything but nice. And he told nobody. He hid it. And the only thing that my parents could do at this stage was not to not to block him out, but to offer him help. And if he didn't want the help, then he he would walk away. And he mm. chose he chose to walk away for a while. Um, there was a point where he was back living with my parents and, and one evening uh, a, a drug dealer knocked at our door and I was in there with my boyfriend and my brother and his girlfriend were there and I think my, my mom at that stage was like absolutely not like this this can't happen mm. anymore so she decided to, to put an end to that and she he, he was using Merchant's Key for a while Um, I know he was homeless for a period which to me, I'm still coming to terms with my brother was was a homeless drug mm. addict, and that's something that I still need to deal with myself. Um, but up to the the week of his death, he he was living in an apartment. Um, everybody, we were we were still in communication. We just weren't seeing him as as regular. And then, actually, he his 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 body was was found in only five minutes from the family home in in a housing estate. Um, and I know my mom went to to see him before he was taken away and I'm just glad I wasn't I wasn't mm. there because I, I don't think I would have been strong That's enough That's a very that. very for mother yeah it's a very very difficult thing to because they're always your child so to sort of make have to make that decision to send them away or give them an ultimatum knowing that deep down they're possibly in that situation going to take the easier option That's a really difficult thing for your mum to have had to do and even though like I was I was only 22 at the time and I was I was going through a lot myself and I obviously am and a mother I could totally sympathise I felt I felt my heart breaking for her and I I don't think I could really tell her that enough or show her because Mm. I wasn't in her situation I didn't have to send somebody away Mm. and she knew that this was the only option to save his life Mm. but his partner was also uh, she's an ex drug user she's she's drug free over 20 years now wow. and she's doing marvelous she's an absolutely fantastic woman but she even said an, an, ad, an addict will just always follow the drug mm. um one way or another they whether they beg steal or borrow they will always come back and find a way to mm. get their hit i'm just thinking about your mum though still about the fact that you know when he was spiraling matthew mm. was spiraling out of control and he was going down that slippery slope towards the end when you said that, you know, you wouldn't see him as often or whatever, that for her, the grieving process must have already started because her son wasn't there anymore. I think she knew, though. um, I think she knew that this this was the ultimatum because it was either she was going to bury him sooner or at least he'd get a chance because Mm. he just wasn't having a chance over here. And particularly because of his criminal conviction, he couldn't just... Get he, a job. He couldn't or, just yeah, get yeah. a job. He couldn't Should just... Turn, turn it all around. He, yeah. he couldn't. And had he been alive this year, he would have spent more years out of prison than he had in prison. And that would have been the first time in his life and he'd be 40. So he had so much potential, but he just couldn't because of everything that was attached to him. And of course, there's still the pain that he was going mm. through. No amount of counselling service mm. can can give you back what you've lost as a 13-year-old boy. No. Can I ask you about chaos because I know something I know a thing or two about that too growing up and um, when you live like that in that place where everything is it's it's 
it's always happening. There's always something happening and it's always dramatic and it's always difficult and there's it's relentless. And then maybe things start to change and maybe the person's gone and then but you're left with kind of living a whole new life without it and and things are very different. Has that transition kind of been a strange one for everyone because Oh, chaos is such a beautiful word, isn't it? It was that whole, well, the whole period of, of when Matthew passed away, um, which was the June of 2015. And I was, I had just been diagnosed with cancer in the September as well. And I had to get a kidney removed for, through another illness as well. Um, so we were dealing, we were trying to deal with that while trying to grieve. I was going through my own personal grievance for, for my body at the time. Um, and we were like, how are, how are we going to move forward? How can we possibly, how can we possibly step away from mm. this as a family? Mm. And we, uh, we're, we're, we're a close family. I mean, we're as close as any regular family, but we wouldn't have gone on like family holidays as such in the last like 10 or so years. So our way of dealing with this was, we said, right, let's all just bucket the money together. And we just went on a family holiday for mm. Christmas and we spent Christmas abroad with one of my other brothers who couldn't make it home for his funeral. And... I think just the being togetherness mm. and having people around because we wouldn't we wouldn't normally you know sit in a circle and you know tell each other mm. how we're feeling but just to even have each other's presence I think I guess I guess we just I guess we're 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 more open now and it comes back to me wanting to be more open in public about about what was going on mm. um that that still like that would come up quite regularly about whether it's a good idea, whether it'll do any good, whether anything positive will come from it, and I, I still think it absolutely will. Um, so every now and then, we, we, I think we touch base with each other more now. Mm. And even though Matthew isn't around, he's kind of the missing link between us all. And it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's like he's an invisible chain that's that's yeah, linking us all together. I was going to ask you that. Is it actually? Has he brought you together? I, I feel I really Is feel his, what he's done for you. Yeah, I mean, it's strange because he he was missing for such a massive mm. period of my life, but he was all he was he was still around if if that makes sense. But because he was such a big personality and he, he physically he was a big presence, I every now and then I just feel like you know he's linking me under mm. the arm and and he's with me and I now I I, I wear his ring around yeah, my neck so just beautiful. to just because I so I, I feel like a piece of him a piece with of him. him yeah, yeah. I, I feel like even though we. Matthew and I have have similar struggles in terms of self acceptance, um, illness, and and things like that. And I I felt like that I could connect to him on on a deeper level, and um, particularly by just sitting down with him in that room for for two hours a couple of years ago. I've I've learned so much more mm. than maybe he would have even told my parents. Mm. Um, and I I think I'll treasure that forever. Yeah. What would you like to see happen now? I would like to see the decriminalisation of drugs for users and for mm. addicts. Matthew had told me in the, the documentary, in the interview, that he would really have loved to see supervised injection clinics because he felt that it was a positive step forward. It might not be the final step, mm. but it's certainly a positive step mm. forward in reducing overdose rates. Currently, Ireland has the fourth highest overdose rates in the EU. And I think there's a lot that can be done to transition how we see addiction from just a criminal act into more of a health-led approach. I think we can do better with our family services um, for grievance. I think 
for younger people, for children that have lost parents to mm-hmm. addiction. Matthew has two children. One is, is 23 and he's doing um, social care in Minute, mm-hmm. and the other is 18. She's just finished her leaving cert and they are absolutely bewildered. And I know they're, 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 they're crying inside, but nobody has really sat them down and they haven't really been able to fully accept or talk about it yet. So mm. I think it's important to, to think about the children. That, mm. that, um, it's very lacking. You know, yeah. if, you, if you want to get your kids like to see somebody or to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. like you pay a fortune or they don't get to see anybody. Or they don't get to see anybody. Yeah. Um, and even the other night on the news was um, the report about the mental health services being closed at five o'clock. <laughs> yeah. But what about when... Mm. when Matthew's daughter goes home from work and she's feeling really low about herself. Yeah. She doesn't want to talk and about it. Is it's way more likely. Well. Yeah, yeah, the dark yeah. evenings yeah. Yeah. They should be open. Exactly. Um, so th- there's a lot that can be done. Mm. Um, thankfully, today, Anna Liffey are launching their Safer From Harm campaign. To um, So th- this will be the public campaign to help um, decriminalise drug use. Um, and I think that will be a massive step forward in getting the general public aware and educated on what's happening within that circle. Um so those are some of the things that I'd like okay, to see yeah. happen. Yeah, well, I think they're very valid <laughs> yeah. and I think you've every right to ask for them. And I personally just really admire, mm. you know, how you're speaking up because it is a difficult situation and yeah. it is also something that, you know, people hear the word drugs. They don't normally, sometimes they just don't want to hear it. But look, I, I think you have to remember that people are associating drug addiction with a very, very blatant stereotype. They wear tracksuits, mm. they hang around corners. People forget that it's actually the 24-year-old working in the office that does it on the weekend, but that's not a drug addiction. Mm, where that's recreational. Exactly. Yeah. So we, I think we need to do a full 360 mm-hmm. and have an overlook of what actually drug addiction is, first of all, and then how can we combat it in a safe way that minimises the risk to the user and to the wider community as well. But there's so so many amazing services like Analyphia Merchants Key and so many individuals that are doing trident work to get this across the line. So I think in 10 years time, Ireland will be closer to what Portugal is in terms of their overdose rates and supervised injection clinics. And yeah, hopefully it'll be a safer Ireland for people with addiction. Thank you so much. Neve. thank you. Thank you.